If you have a Bible or a copy of God's Word, turn with me to the Gospel of John in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. We're going to be looking at chapter 20 this morning. Uh, This is it for the Christian, the resurrection, everything that Jesus did and said culminates uh, at the resurrection on this Easter Sunday. This is the Christian hope, and this is the hope that Christians hold out to a world that has no hope. And so this morning we're going to be going to the empty tomb, and we're going to get an eyewitness account of the empty tomb from the Apostle John. Follow along with me as I read. This is God's Word, John 20, verses 1 through 18. And I want you to notice um, how this reads and the details. Uh, The details that are mentioned uh, can only be included if someone was there and saw this with their own eyes. So with that in mind, follow along as we read. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. We know that is the Apostle John who's writing this gospel. And said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. And so Peter went out with the other disciple And they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. And then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. And then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, I love how John is making the point that I beat Peter in something. <laughs> he, keeps, he lets us know that. Uh, also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. Again, notice the detail, stooping into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain. One at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And then Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned And said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene 
went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. This is the end of the reading of God's word. As we begin, I want you to think about, you're not going to want to think about this, and I totally get it. I want you to think about the coronavirus. I know you're tired of thinking about it, but hang with me. Few have actually seen it. It is one ten thousandth of a centimeter. It's hard to believe in something that you can't see. So what are we doing? We are relying on those who have seen it. We are, in a sense, living by faith in the testimony of those who have seen what is invisible to us. And you know as well as I do that COVID-19 has changed the world, but it has changed the world for the worse, and that is very clear. Now I want you to think about the resurrection of Jesus. Unseen to us. Hard to believe in something or someone that you can't see. And like viruses and the coronavirus and lots of other things that we could say, what do we do? We're relying on testimony. On those who have seen him. And we are placing and living by faith in their testimony. And unlike COVID-19, for thousands of years, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ has been changing the world. And changing the world for the better. In Luke chapter 20, we have an eyewitness account from the Apostle John who says, What is unseen to you, I saw with my own two eyes. And in this passage, John gives us a look under the microscope, if you will. And he takes us to that first Easter morning and he shows us the empty tomb. So I want us to look at three things this morning as it relates to the empty tomb. The empty tomb, number one, perplexes. Secondly, it is personal. And lastly, the empty tomb provides. The empty tomb perplexes, it's personal, and it provides. Let's dig in and look at our first heading, it perplexes. Look at verse 1. So the passage opens, it's still dark, and Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb of Jesus. There, in other gospel accounts, you might be familiar with them. Uh, it speaks of a whole company of women that followed Jesus and were along and with Mary. But here, John focuses and doesn't mention the other women because he wants us to focus <clears throat> on Mary Magdalene. And so you see her, uh, it's very personal, this account. And Mary, <clears throat> the first question would be, who is Mary? We don't know a whole lot about Mary uh, in the scriptures, but we know that she was at the feet of Jesus when Jesus was crucified. And in Luke chapter 8, verse 2, Luke tells us something else about Mary. That Mary was possessed by seven demons. And had seven demons cast out of her. In Mark chapter 5, we see another picture of someone who was possessed by multiple demons. And in that account, the man is chained. He's naked. And he's running around screeching. And he's completely out of his mind. And so that's the picture. If you want to know who Mary was and who she is. And Jesus heals her. And rescues her. 
and changes her life. And so it makes sense, doesn't it, now as you read this account in John chapter 20, why she's the first to the tomb. It makes sense why there's so much weeping. That why she wants to anoint Jesus at his burial. It makes sense because she deeply loved Jesus because Jesus was everything to her. And so she goes to the tomb and she rows away or she sees the, the stone that has been rolled away. And then notice what she does next. She runs. Did you notice there's a lot of running going on in those first 10 verses of John chapter 20. She runs to Peter and she runs to John. And look in verse 2 she says, They have taken my Lord out of the tomb. And notice it says, We do not know where they have laid him. We, again, probably other women she's referring to, but John's focusing on Mary. She believes that someone has stolen the body of Jesus. And this was uh, back in those days. It was common for robbers to rob valuables from a tomb, but never a body. And so she's deeply confused. As if the cross was not horrific enough as she was watching what happened to Jesus and watching at the foot of the cross Jesus take his last breath. If that was not bad enough, now someone has stolen the body of her Lord that she came to anoint and honor. Verse 4, well, Peter and John start running. They start running towards the tomb. And we don't know whether Mary was running behind them, but she eventually uh, catches up to the tomb. Look at verses 5 and 6. John gets there, stoops in, looks, waits outside, and true to form, Peter, he just comes and bursts right into the tomb. They find a face cloth neatly folded and the linens there. In other words, it does not appear to be the work of robbers. And if you're Peter and John, you're confused. And we see as much in John chapter, in verse 9. Look, it says essentially they don't understand what they are looking at. Yes, I know verse 8 says that John saw and believed, but his belief didn't appear to go very deep because upon seeing the empty tomb, look at verse 10, they go home. And so there's lots of confusion on this first Easter morning. Are you confused this morning by the empty tomb? Is the resurrection hard for you to understand and to accept? Well, that shouldn't surprise us because it was hard for Mary and the disciples too. They needed clarity. And as we keep reading, Jesus gives them clarity because Jesus shows up in his resurrected body before them and Jesus presents and explains everything to them. And maybe you hear that and you go, well, of course. I mean, I would believe if I saw Jesus' resurrected body and Jesus explained everything to me, I would believe too. Well, do you know what the Apostle Peter, who's an eyewitness... Eyewitness to the resurrection, he actually says later when he writes a book of the Bible. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 and 19, you know what he says? We actually have something better. He says specifically, here we are eyewitnesses to his majesty, and we have something more sure. We have the prophetic word of God. 
and we would do well to pay attention. That should shock us. I mean, maybe you're thinking, how could it be possible that that would be better? What could possibly be better than seeing the resurrected and being an eyewitness to the resurrection? And you know what Peter says? You've got the Holy Spirit and you've got the Bible. And it's better. What's the role of the Holy Spirit? To shine the spotlight on Jesus. The Holy Spirit helps you to see Jesus. Where do you see Jesus? In this book. In this book called the Bible, Jesus says in Luke chapter 24, Jesus says, I am the center. All of the scriptures are about me. And so you want to know who Jesus is? You want to know what Jesus has done for you? You want clarity on the resurrection? You want clarity and explanation of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus? Pick up the Bible. That's where Jesus makes himself clear through his spirit. You see, left to ourselves, the resurrection is confusing. But with the help of the Holy Spirit and the Bible, we move from confusion to clarity. Secondly, we see that the empty tomb is personal. Look at verses 14 and 15. So the risen Jesus approaches Mary, and she doesn't realize at first who Jesus is. She thinks he's the gardener. And we shouldn't be too taken by that or surprised by that because other instances in the scriptures after the resurrection, there were those who didn't immediately recognize Jesus. Almost every commentator points out that this blindness here was more than physical and emotional. Some have said, you know, her eyes were, had so many tears in them that she didn't recognize Jesus. Every commentator points out that there is spiritual blindness here as well. Because you see, in her mind, she had a narrative that she was interpreting everything through. What was her narrative? Well, it comes up a couple of times in here. They've stolen the body. They have taken away my Lord. And so she thinks Jesus has been stolen She had no category for the resurrection. And who can blame her because we wouldn't have a category for it either. Jesus was standing right before her eyes and she missed him. Verse 16. One of the most beautiful moments in all of scripture. Jesus says, Mary. Calls her by her name. Dale Bruner, commentator, says this is Jesus' shortest sermon in the Gospel of John and I think his most dramatic. The shepherd knows his sheep and calls them by name and his sheep know his voice. That one word, Mary's own name, spoken by the most significant person she had ever known, changed her life forever. And in that moment, she cries out, Rabboni. And you see there in parentheses, teacher. More literally, it reads, my teacher. And so notice the intimacy there. Throughout that whole interaction with Jesus and Mary, he calls her by name, her eyes are open, she turns, and her grief goes to gladness. Let's point out a couple of things. Did you notice the order? 
I think it's easy to overlook, but we do not hear her call him teacher, followed by Mary. Instead, we hear him say Mary, followed by her amazement, teacher. What does that tell us? Well, it tells us that salvation, the opening of your eyes onto who Jesus is, it's not your doing. You don't do it. Jesus calls you. God comes to you and wakes you up out of your sin and stupor. Salvation, to say it another way, is always a gift of God's grace. And you think about this passage, Mary's love and her weeping and her passion for Jesus. It's a sign that she got that. That she understood God's grace. You see, if you think that Christianity is about your good works... If you think Christianity is about what you do, chances are you're bitter, angry, and frustrated, and never feeling like enough, and completely exhausted because you do not know when you've done enough. And so you think God is never pleased with you, and you have no passion or wonder in your life. But if, like Mary, you see Christianity as something done to you, Christianity is something done for you and in you, then there'll be a note of wonder in your life. There'll be a note of amazement and grace and love and passion for what Jesus has done for you. You see, love and devotion towards Jesus is always a direct result of having been loved by Jesus. Think about Mary's story. Her life was ruined, she was chained crying out and shrieking and half naked out of her mind. Can you imagine Mary saying, me? Jesus? Me? You love me? And you are calling me? It's a miracle. See, this interaction shows us that salvation is by grace alone. But it also shows us that the resurrected Jesus must become personal to you. Jesus must become personal to you. In other words, Christianity is not just simply intellectual assent. You must meet the risen Lord Jesus personally and put your faith and trust in him. That's when you are changed. And you think about all the personal things we see in this account. Jesus calls Mary by her name. Mary says to Jesus, my teacher... You see, at the end of the day, the Christian faith is about putting your trust in a person and having a personal relationship with Jesus. And so what that means is that you can seek truth and you can seek comfort and you can seek self-improvement, but the real question is, are you seeking Him? That's the real question. You can even call yourself by His name. Christian. But the question is, does he know your name? You see, do you believe that Jesus loved you enough to die for you? you believe that Jesus was raised for you? You can even identify yourself as in, with Christianity and you can say Jesus is a teacher. He's a great teacher. You can even say he's the teacher. 
But the real question is, is Jesus your teacher? Is he your teacher at whose feet you sit and you listen and you worship and you learn and you obey? You see the difference? It's one thing to know about God. It's a completely different thing to know Jesus personally. You are not a Christian until you see Jesus' work on the cross as more than just a generalized atonement. You must see that it was your sin that put Jesus there. That he died for you. And likewise, you must see that the resurrection was for you. That Jesus was raised from the dead because he loves you and wants to be with you for all eternity. Mary listened to the voice. My question for all of us this morning is, are we? It's no accident that you're here, that we're here, and the preaching of the word is the way God calls you. Are you listening to the voice? Lastly, the empty tomb provides. Look at the first part of verse 17. Jesus said, do not cling to me. For I do not yet, I've not yet ascended to the Father. Jesus is not being rude. He's a, he is teaching. At first glance, it seems like he's offended that she has grabbed onto him. And it makes sense. She thought she had lost him. Now he's back. She doesn't want to let go. But Jesus is not offended because we know in other places, right after this, he says, Thomas, touch me. So what is Jesus doing? What is he teaching? Well, here's what Jesus is saying. Mary, I'm alive. And there is more for me to do. I've got to ascend to the Father. I've got to sit on my throne and rule over the universe and pour out my spirit. And that is better. Because that means that you'll never lose me. That means that I will be present with you more than ever before. I will be present through you till the end of time. And so then the question is, what does this mean for us practically? What does the resurrection provide? Well, think about it. It gives us hope for the present. It gives us hope right now. If Jesus is alive and he's at the right hand of the Father, and he's present with us, the resurrected Jesus, through his Spirit, that means we need to live in that reality. And you might say, say, well, that's obvious, but do you live with the reality that Jesus is always with you? Every single moment of every day? No, you know what we do? We edit Jesus out of our lives. And this is saying, Jesus is there. And so will we let Jesus in to our decision making? Is Jesus, he's present, will we let him in to our struggle with sin? Romans chapter 8 says the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is in you if you are a believer. Let me say that again. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living inside of you if you are a believer. Do you believe that? In your struggle with sin. Now we live such defeatist lives oftentimes. We need to bring Jesus into our loneliness and our suffering. Because the resurrected Jesus, the fact that He was resurrected means that you're not alone. He knows your name. He knows you better than you know yourself. Jesus is not a distant king, 
but he rules over your life. And here's what this means. I don't know what you're going through this morning or what you're struggling with, but it is not random that Jesus is ruling and reigning over your life and the world. Jesus is at work. Look for him. So it means hope for the present, but it also obviously means hope, and that's what we tend to focus on on Easter, is hope for the future. And so because Jesus was resurrected, that means your resurrection is guaranteed. Our hope is that Jesus walked out of the grave. And if you belong to Jesus, that means that one day you will walk out of the grave. One day you will get up. One day, the promise of the empty tomb says that all of the wrongs that are in the world will be made right. Think about this, particularly this past year. The world is broken. And the resurrection says that Jesus is going to come and make it right. And make all the sad things come untrue. You see, the coronavirus was new. Did it wreak havoc on your life and on the world and on our community? Absolutely. But you know what? The coronavirus doesn't put the tiniest dent in the foundations of Christianity. It doesn't put the tiniest dent. Because what unites us is not our views on masks. It's not our views on politics. It's not our views on the vaccine. What unites us is this. What we're doing here on Easter Sunday. What we're celebrating. And that is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, Easter gives us a future hope. Because it reminds us that our hope is not down here in this broken world. It's actually in another world. It's in eternity. The new heavens and new earth that Jesus is bringing. The last thing the empty tomb provides is a new family. Look at verse 17 again. This is the thing that stood out to me more than any other this week. Never noticed this small detail before. Jesus tells Mary, go to the brothers. Is that what it says? Go to my brothers. Go to my brothers. Who are the brothers? They're sellouts. They're cowards. They left Jesus. When Jesus needed them the most, they turned and they hid and they ran. Every single one of them abandoned Jesus. And Jesus says, go to my brothers and tell them I'm alive. And then look, it says, I'm ascended to the Father your Father, to my God and your God, that's clunky. There's a lot shorter way and more concise way to say that. Jesus could have simply said, I'm ascending to our God and Father. He doesn't say that. Why? Because he's emphasizing for us two things. First, his unique relationship with God as the second person of the Trinity. And he's also emphasizing And he's saying that now I share, think about this with me. Some of us have been going to church a long time, and this doesn't move us anymore. So he's saying, he's emphasizing his relationship with the Father as his son. And then he's also saying, I now, because of the resurrection, share that relationship with you. 
Is that not astounding? That the death, the resurrection, and ascension of Jesus provides you with a new family. The empty tomb secures your adoption as a child in the family of God. And the best news of all is that God's family is not for the righteous, but it's for the sellouts. It's for sinners like us. Go tell my brothers. What does that tell you about God? Well, it tells you that God is a God of mercy and grace. What does that tell you about God's family? It tells you that God's family is built on grace. Billy Graham passed away a couple of years ago in 2018. There's a lot of media coverage around his death and the funeral. And his daughter, Ruth, got up to share at the funeral. <clears throat> she shared a story about when her 21-year marriage ended in divorce. She was devastated. Felt like she had gotten the rug pulled out from under her. Her family said it would probably be best. You need a new and a fresh start and you should move towards your older sister and live near her. And so that's what she decided to do. And she got there and got involved in a church and the pastor introduced her in her words to a handsome young widower. And they began to date fast and furious. Her children didn't like him. And she thought, well, they're almost grown. And what do they know? Who are they to tell me what to do? It was her life. She was going to live it how she wanted to live it. Then she got a call from her dad from Tokyo. He was preaching. And he said, Ruth, don't do this. Please slow down. You barely know this man. Let us get to know him and you get to know him. And she says, what do they know? What does he know? He's never been single and divorced and a single parent. And so she says in her stubbornness and pride and arrogance, she married this man on New Year's Eve and she said within 24 hours, she realized that she had made a horrible mistake. And after five weeks of being married, she ran. She fled. She had nowhere else to go, and so she decided that she wanted to go home. It was a two-day trip in the car, and all sorts of questions rode through her mind as she was driving. What would Daddy say? What would Mama say? What would my children say? I've been such a failure. You've embarrassed us. We're tired of fooling with you. We told you not to do it and you did not listen. She says it's one thing to embarrass your father, but it's another thing when your father is Billy Graham and you embarrass him. She's driving up the mountain to her parents' home and as she rounds the curve, Billy Graham, her father, is standing at the end of the driveway and his arms are open wide, waiting for her to get out of the car. And he, she says, when I got out of the car, there was no speech. There was no, I told you so. He wrapped his arms around me and said, welcome home. And then she says these words. My father was not God, 
but he showed me what God was like that day. And my question for you this morning, is that what your God is like? Is that your God? You see, this passage shows us that the resurrected Jesus, friends, is better than we think he is. What is your unshakable failure this morning? What is it that you are bringing into this room? Maybe it's a failed marriage. Maybe it's failed parenting. Maybe it's sexual sin. Maybe it's the secret that you've never told anyone. Maybe it's the thing you've done that you wished you hadn't done. Some of you this morning think you're too bad for Jesus. You think you're too bad for God. You can't outrun this God. The God of the scriptures. Wherever you find yourself this morning, the resurrected Jesus invites you to come home. Not to a tapping foot, folded arms, and a scowl on his face. But to arms open wide and a voice that says, welcome home. Will you come home this morning to Jesus? Some of you need to come home. That's an invitation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the resurrection that you walked out of the grave. And because you walked out of the grave, we will walk out of the grave. Thank you that you will one day make this world right. There's anyone here that doesn't know you this morning and doesn't believe in you, would you give them faith? Would you call them by name? Would they hear you calling their name? And would they respond and put their trust and hope in you? Make the gospel personal this morning. I ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.